Welcome, everybody, to the Seattle Sports Union. My name is Abraham Deweese. Back again with the Brian, the Soul Man, Solak. And somewhere out there in the ether is that damn Dirty Duck Matt Page. But enough about those guys. Let's talk about an amazing person, a, a, a legend, I would say, here in Seattle. Yes. Oh, don't laugh. Oh, you're don't true. Laugh, Dan Mueller. <laughs> You are a legend to us, and you're on Root Sports. You're the reporter, and you are the voice for the Mariners, for many of us, and as well, a sideline reporter for the Seahawks. And we appreciate you being on the show today. And do not laugh. We are serious because you laugh, you make us laugh. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> we get our and, then, and then it just devolves from there. And then, then we're on a downhill slide before we, we even get started. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, like I said at the at the top there, uh, you're known as uh, being the voice for all things uh, Mariners and Seahawks, especially on Root Sports. But let's go back a little bit. Let's go back to uh, back te- to Texas, uh, where you start, where it all, where it all started at uh, uh, SMU. Mm-hmm. What what took you to Dallas? Was it the best dressed band in the land or flag football? <laughs> why you went to SMU. You know, I did my research and I had narrowed it down to a couple of schools. I grew up mostly in Texas, in Houston, and SMU was a nice drive from home, but I couldn't go home every weekend. So the distance worked out, but I did informational interviews before I chose a college and I tried to figure out who had the strongest alumni base. If I needed to get hired for something out of school, I wanted to know where I might be able to do that. All signs pointed towards SMU. They had a journalism department. It was the right size school for me. Um, I tell people all the time, if I would have known about Washington State when I was choosing schools, there's a very good chance I would have ended up in Pullman. But um, yes. I went yes. I went to SMU <laughs> for a broadcast degree and, and for the connections that I'd hoped to make. Well, I think you made the right choice. Ah, come on. And Wazoo, I mean, I know there's another reason why I, I appreciate you, Jen. Now, so thank you. Yeah, now we know why she's on the show. <laughs> you know, all the connections count. There you go. <laughs> I, 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 Before I go to my question, you, it mentioned about flag football. Mm-hmm. I mean, what, what was that like? I mean, from what I read, you were an amazing official and now with your jobs as a sideline reporter, I mean, you ever like mumble under your breath? You see these bad calls on the field? I mean, I'm I'm really curious. Uh, so it was actually an accidental occurrence that I became a flag football official in college. So it, this was a long time ago. I don't know if they still do it this way or not, but they would send intramural supervisors and people that worked in the intramural department dorm to dorm. And they do like these little informational meetings in the, you know, the, the whole whatever common space of the dorm. And of course, they always see officials. I was signing up to be an official. Basketball had really been my sport throughout high school. I was a four-year starter. And I thought, you know what? That could be perfect for me. I've already got this down. You know, this is going to be great. A week later, they called and they said, football season's just around the corner. We need you to show up for football training. I said, there's no way I'm doing this. Like, I don't know anything about officiating a sport. And they said, look, come give it a try. We are going to train you. We'll give you the, you know... We'll give you the the uniform to wear. You can work whatever hours you want to. Uh, I'm not going to lie. The first couple of weeks were tough. I was very intimidated. There were a couple of women, but not many. And I think I just stuck with it for sheer like determination. And I 
I just don't quit things very easily. And by the second game, I was hooked and it was so much fun. And I worked football games all throughout college. I am an All-American flag football official. Yes, it is a thing. I traveled all over the South working football tournaments and it was a blast. And then that's how I got into high school football. So I officiated for 10 years. I am always grateful for the time I spent in flag football in Texas because they take every single level of football, especially seriously. So all of that prepared me to be on the field. And yes, I do look at it sometimes and wonder more about the, um, more about how the rule book is written because I know how hard it is to be out there and I know how fast the game is going. And when I'm on the sidelines for the Seahawks, those guys are such amazing athletes, but I can't, I can't ever really take that hat off, but it does give me a lot of empathy for the people who have to do the job. Great. Uh, so you went for broadcast journalism and I'll write out, a, it, it seems to me, as I look through your profile, uh, you went to Texas Cable News, and then you came to Root mm -hmm. Sports. Uh, what what took you down this? Uh, what took you down the sports line? Or, or were you already in? Was it already in your mind in college? I'm yeah. going to be a sports reporter. Yeah, that was my first choice. Now back then they weren't really encouraging women to take that option. It was kind of one of those. Yeah, if you want to try it, go for it. You know, if you're lucky, maybe you'll make it a year. Maybe there'll be something cool for you, but can't promise that it's going to be a career. So I have a double major, double minor. I was going to be a broadcaster and sports was the easiest thing for me growing up a sports fan and somebody who watched sports my entire career or entire life. Um, but if I wasn't going to do that, I was going to do news and then I was going to be a teacher and all sorts of things. So sports was on my radar. I had worked every internship I could find in sports and Texas Cable News was the smallest station, a big market, and they needed somebody in February that year. So I had a full-time job before I graduated from college. And I thought that was probably a pretty safe choice. So that's how I ended up there. Nice. Very yeah. cool. Who was your inspiration growing up? I mean, was it Linda Cohn? I mean, who, she's my, yeah. she's one of my favorite announcers of all time. But yeah, you know, I love Linda. I've had a chance to meet her a couple of times. It was actually a gal by the name of Lisa Malowski. She did local sports in Houston, and she had done the Rocks broadcast for a long time. And I sent her a, a letter. I mean, this is how many years ago this was. Actual letter, pen and paper. I said, man, you've got such a cool job. I watch you every night. I just think it's so neat that you get to talk to the players. And, and I kind of expressed interest in sports broadcasting and she wrote me back and she said I do have a really fun job but you have to remember that athletes are people too and that's a really important thing to keep in mind and I thought that that was a funny thing to say at the time because I didn't have any experience with it but hearing back from her was certainly encouraging I thought she just did such a phenomenal job in Houston and I have since reached out to her she now owns a production company in Houston and I have mm -hmm. since reached out to her and said this is what happened after you returned my letter. That's nice. awesome. <laughs> hey Jen, yeah, you didn't it didn't come easy for you, it sounded like, because when you came here, you act, they actually put you on big sky sports, didn't they? Well, that was kind of part of it. Actually, I love doing big sky sports. When I first got to Seattle, I was behind the scenes. I spent six and a half years as a producer. I spent 11 months as a news producer because I needed to stay in the industry. And that's the job that was available. I was a part-time sports producer. Um, 
for a year waiting for a full-time position to come open. And the entire time I was doing that, I told people, look, my my real goal and objective is to be on TV, however that looks. Now, at the time, life circumstances didn't exactly allow me to just like uproot and move to wherever I wanted to go to try this. So I think the challenging part for me was staying disciplined enough that when everybody went home at night, I used the resources at the TV station. So I used the interviews, I used the B-roll, I used the voiceover booth, I used the edit base, and I would sit there and I would work by myself for hours. I would put together my own things. I would have my boss and my mentor critique them the next day and I would get back to work and I would do it again. And I built a resume without actually being a reporter. And I convinced them to give me a shot. I I convinced them to give me 60 seconds a week on the Northwest Sports Tonight show that aired every night. I convinced them to let me <laughs> fill in anger on a New Year's Eve when nobody was around because everybody was on vacation and nobody wanted to work. And I said, you know what? Nobody's going to be watching that. So if I'm a huge flop, just let me do it anyway. <laughs> and so there was a lot of were a lot of days and hours and weeks spent wondering if any of it was going to pay off. I was hired at Root Sports to be a producer. And I once again talked my way into having on-air opportunities. So to get to do anything on the air is such a pleasure and a joy. And I started kind of where everybody else did. Once I had that opportunity, I did high school sports. And I did a couple of fill-in things. And we had Big Sky Football for a while, but I also did Pac-12 before that. And I did WNBA and um, I did NBA. I've, I've kind of run the gamut on, on all the different sports I've been able to cover. A bit of a hustle, it sounds like. You have to you have to go out there and get it. You can't just uh, let, it, let it come to you, it sounds like. It is definitely one of the things that I tell folks who ask me about getting into the industry. Number one, you're not going to find your perfect job because it might not exist yet. If you asked me what my perfect job was coming out of school, I would have said, just let me be a local sports broadcaster. I don't care where, like I didn't have any parameters. I don't care what city I'm in. I don't care what sports I'm covering. Just let me do some sort of local sports. If you would have told me that the job that I currently have was a possibility, I would have laughed in your face and walked away. So your perfect job might not have been created yet or might not be available yet. But number two, you really do have to prepare for the hustle and grind. I think stamina is one of those things we don't talk enough about in the industry because it, there are certain seasons, just like there's a season for every sport, there's a season in my year and in my career where it is a hustle and it is a grind and you need stamina because it's not just, can you do the work? When you're a public figure, it's, can you do the work and show up and be pleasant on your worst day, on your most tired day, when you are jet lagged, how do you show up for people, whether that's your colleagues or your friends or the people that see you at Costco? So um, it, it is a hustle. It is a grind. And I think I've always just loved that about sports going back to when I was an athlete. Very recently, cool. yeah, yeah, very cool. Re recently, you won an award, the Keith Jackson, excuse me, Media Excellence Award at the mm -hmm. Seattle LPI Sports Star of the Year. What, tell us, you're sitting there and they call your name. I mean, how? So are you I feeling? knew ahead of time. Oh, I knew okay. ahead of time. Uh, I had okay. gotten a heads up so that I could get a speech prepared and so that I wasn't, you know, otherwise out in the lobby or something like that when it came up. Um, okay. it, it was a tremendous honor. And, 
you know, when you listen to Keith Jackson call a game, you just felt like you were like a friend, like he was in your living room. He made it so accessible. It, it made you feel like you were part of the event. And to be honored with an award that has his name on it, you know, the only thing I ever want to do to the audience and to the fans is bring them into the conversation. I want you to feel what it feels like to be standing on the field. I want you to understand the emotion that's being felt by the athlete or the coach at that moment. So uh, it was a huge honor. KJ Wright was one of the people who presented me with the okay. award. KJ has been one of my go-tos uh, in the Seahawks locker his entire career and continues to be a good friend. So that was that was very special too. That's awesome. Congratulations. By the way, was Thank that, you. Brian, was that Keith Jackson question? Because Keith Jackson went to Wazoo. Is that what you asked? Him? <laughs> <laughs> kind of like Maybe a little bit, it yeah. It all kind of comes around, doesn't it? <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, uh, tell me about Talk Sporty to me. It's it's your blog, and I, I read it in preparation for this show, and um, you seem to offer opportunities for corporations to develop their employees as professional talkers. Is that right? Yes. And yes. And um, okay. yes. And there's different facets of talk sporty. It is actually the company that I found 14 years ago, and it was designed to be the backup plan in case things didn't pan out the way that I hoped they would on TV. I do work with clients and I work with corporations on improving communication skills. Yes, I try to get them to understand that sports is a foot in the door and that sports gives you opportunities that no other topic gives you when it comes to small talk, connections, relationship building, networking, all those things. You don't have to be a sports fan to take advantage of somebody's fandom. I mean, you don't have to have filled out an NCAA tournament bracket this year to know that everybody's talking about all the upsets, right? And there's so many different business parallels that you could talk about that I, I just want people, if the only thing they think about are stats and scores and outcomes, you are using sports just a fraction of its true benefit and power in relationship building. The other part of Talk Sporty to me is the way that I communicate inside a locker room or during an interview is effective communication because I don't get conversations that are measured in minutes. My conversations are measured in seconds. I need people to respond to me on a deadline with the right answer that is both entertaining and informative and language that it can be acceptable by all of the audiences, right? Right. In business, we mistake what effective communication is all the time. I don't have that option. And so a lot of my core presentations are taking the strategies you hear me use in interviews or that I might use to ask for an interview or to build a relationship and bringing it into kind of everybody else's realm of it's not talking more. It's actually just being more effective and strategic with the words that you're saying. Gotcha. So if Abraham was to sign the Seattle Sports Union up, what would day one be like? I mean, what kind of advice would you give us? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, tell, tell us what day one would be like. Well, I mean, day one looked different for everybody, but effective communication-wise or why sports works? 
communication wise? Yeah. So there's uh, three things that people miss in every single email and conversation. I call it ETA. Um, I know that ETA normally stand for estimated time arrival, but for me, it's, uh, it stands for expectation, timeline, and action. When you become a sports broadcaster or when you get turned loose into the field and they say, here you go, go get an interview, nobody tells you how to ask for an interview, which sounds really straightforward, but here's what happens without ETA. Without ETA, I would walk up to a player and I would ask if they had time to do an interview. They would, being polite, say yes. I think, cool, I'm on my way to get an interview. And they would walk away to do whatever they were doing before practice. They would go out, hit BP. They would go and stretch. They would do whatever they were going to do. And I would sit there and I would go, huh? Like, I wonder how long this is going to take. I wonder if I should go out there or if I should stand by their locker or I wonder if this is going to happen on my timeline. I would get a lot of people saying yes, but I couldn't actually pin down the interview in the time I needed it. So expectation timeline and action item sounds like this. I give the expectation what it is that we are going to talk about. I, I verbalize all of this. We do not keep people guessing about what it is that we want to talk to them about, meet with them about, or discuss with them. Timeline is when it's going to happen and how long it's going to take. An action item is who's responsible for taking the next steps and what are they? So now when I ask for an interview, it sounds like this. Hey, Marco, do you have time to answer two questions about tomorrow's opponent? I can find you when you come off the field. Okay. See the difference in that? Yeah, so my yeah. expectation is I'm going to talk to you about tomorrow's opponent. My timeline is two questions. And when you come off fields, that's another timeline. Okay. And the action item is I can find you when you come off the field. Now, if Marco doesn't want to talk to me about Zara's opponent, Marco can say, you know what, Jen? I'm not, I'm not watching this series like that. It's just not going to work for me. Marco could say, I don't have time today. I've got to go get treatment. But my cards are on the table for what I need. And now he can say yes or no, and I can make the adjustment from there. When we go back to effective communication, we miss this in all of our emails and conversation. We create drama when you don't need to have drama because if people can't figure out what it is that you're looking for, they're going to start making up stories in their own mind. Mm -hmm. And that's how we end up with people showing up like defensive or not showing up at all and ghosting you because right. they're afraid of what that conversation is going to be. So <laughs> that would be the number one thing that I tell people, use ETA. Are these same lessons in your book, uh, Learn to Talk mm -hmm. Sports in Five Minutes? Uh, so there's three books, and that particular one, I think, is in book number two. Mm -hmm. Yep. And, then and a lot of it is just, yeah, explaining how I talk and why I talk. And they are available on Amazon. Awesome. And Brian, I we got we to gotta remember this man because, like, we're going to be in front of the Aqua Sox this year again. And uh, last year, uh, you know, we 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 got some good interviews, but this year, let's let's make them better. Let's keep these lessons. Definitely up. appreciate Thank that. You again. This is amazing. Yeah. Um, I, sorry to interrupt. I want to ask one more question about ETA. You're mm -hmm. just talking about my day job. I'm a supervisor at a towing company, and we use the term ETA all the time because my guys got to get you know to their next call. I mean, mm -hmm. 
Would you do a different approach if nope. my, no, same thing? Okay. I would do the same thing because, and I did it intentionally that way, because you're going to use ETA in your regular life, right? Because everybody's going to have some sort of ETA. And when you say that, I want you to start thinking about, ooh, what's the communication piece I'm missing in this, right? Like yeah. I want it to be such a, a correlation that you're thinking about it even if not sending the email, but it's forcing you to really think through being intentional and strategic with your messaging. Okay. That's awesome. I, I, I love that. that. <laughs> That's such great stuff. Um, we're we're going to, we're going to slide a little bit. We're going to, we're going to shift gears a bit. Okay. Uh, because there's something I want to really talk about with you. And that's March 11th, March 11th for a lot of you out there, eh, just another day. However, it was a special day, a very incredible day in that you, Angie Metnick, a couple of the, uh, Colorado uh, Rockies announcers performed the very first all-female-led broadcast of a Major League Baseball game. That's amazing. Did you? How, one, how did that come about? And then two, uh, did you feel any nervousness or any, you know, uh, uh, pressure, you know, as, as you went into this? Yeah, you know, I, I am really grateful to our colleagues in Denver. So we were technically the second ever MLB broadcast to be all female. We are the first, though, for the Mariners, for the Rockies, and for Root Sports. Okay. And our colleagues in Denver, not only is Jenny play-by-play, -play, which was critical in the situation, because Angie is color, I'm a sideline reporter, and then our colleague from Houston who came up, Julia, she is also a sideline reporter. She works on the Astros broadcast. But behind the scenes in Denver, there is a director and a producer who are female. That is so exceptionally rare in sports and in TV. It is like a unicorn broadcast coming together to have somebody, to have two women that do the majority of Rockies games sitting in the truck together. So this was really their brainchild, and they'd been trying to work on this for a few years. It all worked out. The Rockies and the Mariners have spring training games in Arizona. They play each other, so it was easy to do a shared broadcast. So the technical side and the logistical side, that kind of got taken care of by the schedule. I'm going to be honest with you, going into the game, I was irritated. Oh, I was irritated <laughs> at the conversations taking place. I was irritated, and I'll explain. I was irritated by very well-meaning colleagues who kept wishing us good luck. And here's why. You don't wish me luck when I go on air 120 games out of Mariner's schedule. <laughs> you didn't wish me luck when I did all the Seahawks games. You don't wish me luck when I go to work every day. For those of us who were working this broadcast, it was a day at the office. And I, I got offended. People are like, I, I just didn't think we needed luck. Now, I understand that what people were saying was, you know, we want you to have a good time, right? We, we just want you to know that we're out here and that we're encouraging you. I, I did not realize. So that was Friday night. We were talking about that over dinner. And I, I the, the gals were like, hey, you know, look, and just think about it from this different point of view. Okay. So we get to the game on Saturday and all of us have worked literally hundreds into the thousands of games in our career. Okay. I think, I think between us, there was like 80 plus years of experience on this broadcast, right? Like none of us are newbies by any threat. 
And yet every single one of us said afterwards that there were some extra nerves because we didn't want to let anybody else down. We didn't want to be the weak link. We didn't want to let people down. Um, we wanted to make sure that it was the best broadcast possible. There was far more emotion than I anticipated being able to work with the gals. And it was a really cool thing. <laughs> so I looked on Twitter afterwards which, you know, you have to do, and there's going to be some mixed comments. And one of the comments was uh, a dude, I'm not going to call him a gentleman. I'm not going to call him a man. I'm just going to say from a dude who said, <laughs> um, you know, you guys need to realize the majority of sports fans are men and they don't want to hear wins voices talking about sports. Mm. I fired off a response sitting next to Angie. We were at the airport getting ready for our flight. And they said, I got this. <laughs> and I just said, you know, what? that is the same damn argument they tried to tell me 25 years ago in college. You need to move past it. And I can only imagine how limited your viewing options now are with as many of us as there are in sports. So despite my initial kind of like mm, angst or like just kind of not feeling some of those vibes, I realized it's important because just having women talking sports is important. And apparently not everybody thinks that that should be the case, but to have a female in my ear as the producer talking, that was a big deal too. So at the end of the day, I think, um, I think it was a heck of a broadcast. I think the gals in the booth did an awesome job calling the game. Um, I think it was, it, it was a great broadcast from a technical standpoint and, and it was really fun to be a part of. Very cool. I guess the the next milestone would be when people no longer bring this up, right? Yeah. Like it's not That's a exactly thing. right. <clears throat> We're getting closer, but yeah, it's still that still thing. I I what you were talking about on Twitter, I saw that and that actually answered my next question, how you deal with people like that. But I, I have to say baseball's been my favorite sport for over 40 plus years and I've, but I've never really watched a spring training game. Yeah. I sat down that Saturday afternoon. I watched from the very beginning to the very end and I didn't want to stop. You guys did a hell of a job and I Thank applaud you. you for that. Thank, Thank you. you. I appreciate that. Quite entertaining yeah. very much. <clears throat> yeah, that was a good one. And you know what? Thankfully, most of the comments were positive and, and everybody's entitled to their opinion. I don't think they need to share them, but they are always entitled <laughs> to it. Understood. Uh, you know, it, it, it's it's a scenario where mm. the same exact person complains, probably complains that they don't like this play-by-play -play announcer. They don't like that play-by-play. -play. There are people that generally can't be satisfied. Anyway, well, so. it is a point, though, and that's a challenging thing. And I tell people who want to get into the industry, it is very subjective. And what you like, you know, my boss might not like, right? If mm -hmm. the company changes ownership, owners could come in and say, look, we don't like the sound of your voice or we don't like this frame. You could technically be doing things right, but it is subjective. And I go back to that time as a football official. Boy, if I did not already have thick skin by then, I certainly developed it for all of those years. And it makes it easier to kind of just understand what that dynamic feels like now. Right on. Hey, uh, so I'm going to take you back in time yeah, a little bit more than just a couple of weeks ago, but uh, all the way back to April 15th, 2012. 
uh, myself and my friend Cameron Stevens, we played hooky from from work. And I feel okay. like because I don't work at that company anymore. So yeah, I, I don't regret taking that day off because that happened to me when Felix threw the perfect game. August. You say April first. August. I was like, I'm wait, sorry. what I'm happened in April? Okay, my August. Apologies. Got it. August. Yep. August. Yep. <laughs> One of those A months. Uh, yeah. Anyway, yeah. I'll run together. <laughs> you were there. You got to interview Felix. What was that like? I mean, how do you? I I, I don't expect that you would have stock questions for winning a perfect game <laughs> how did you how did you go about that interview yeah that is a really interesting interview it is the favorite interview that i have ever done in my entire career um there's a backstory to this there's a backstory to the questions and there's a backstory to that moment so okay. the backstory goes back to spring training and felix and i did not sit down for a very um for a very long spring training interview. As you know, I go down to spring training every year. We generally sit down with guys for anywhere from 10 to 15 minutes. Things did not go according to schedule. And um, I walked out of the interview on Felix. And then that interview ended up very shortly. And the long and the short of it was, there was some miscommunication there. And even though we had patched things up a little bit and, and we had apologized and, and after this is all in spring training, it just felt like it was cursory and it felt like, God, things were hanging in the balance, man. And I could not afford for Felix to not talk to me because that year Felix was on a roll, man. We could all see it. He was on a mm -hmm. roll in my biggest fear was Japan that year. My biggest fear, and we kept passing each other in that, like in the customs line to get, and I just, I'm like, <laughs> he's going to do something really cool. And then he's not going to talk to me during game. And then I'm going to have to explain to my bosses and managers why I can't get the ace of the team to talk to me. So we end up hashing this whole thing out in April in Detroit on a road trip. I feel like great. Felix and I are at least like, we're good, right? Okay. There was a combined no-hitter that the Mariners threw in July, or in June of the year, excuse me, against the Dodgers. Six pitchers combined to throw a no-hitter. I covered that game as well. However, because it was a combined no-hitter, we weren't as tuned into that as a perfect game or a no-hitter thrown by one pitcher. So we get to the end of that game, and it's kind of dawning on, like, all of us, like, Oh my gosh, this is happening. So I got on the field to do the interview and essentially every interview question was some version of, oh my gosh, how cool is this? Mm. It, it didn't sound exactly like that, but I listened back to my interview questions and I'm like, wow, how badly did I screw that up? Like I didn't give the audience anything on these questions. Like it was terrible. So perfect game from Felix comes. I remember that day vividly. You would sense coming is about the fourth inning. You're like, hey, wait a minute. This looks different. The seventh inning, that's when I dial in and I start ask, I start writing down questions. So if you were to ever look at my, my game book or my scorecards, I start writing questions in the first inning, but they get really dialed in by about the seventh. And I had questions because I knew that I had screwed this up in my previous chance. And I, it is my most favorite interview because I nailed the questions. I still have my scorecard with the questions written at the bottom of them. Felix signed it. But when Felix came over, he knew. 
he knew that I was standing there, like everything, I get a hug, I get the interview, like it was, that was the moment. That was the moment it meant certainly a lot to him in his career, but it meant a lot to me personally in, in, in my career. That's awesome. Oh, yeah. Do you, you, you keep score of every game? I do keep score of every game. I don't Brian, have much of a voice. You have to like, Brian, I'm gonna have to you know what's happening. Huh? All All saying, Brian, I'm going to teach him if it kills me. I need to teach you how to keep score. I know <laughs> how. I just don't make the time. <laughs> well, so so for me, and I wish I'm not gonna. I don't have one close by. I but I have a full scorebook for the entire season. You know, there's a couple of things here. Nobody really helps us out. People ask this all the time. Do people? Do you producers get in your ear and ask questions or tell you what questions? No, you're on your own. Really? And a producer in the truck is dealing with a lot of crap during the game. They're talking to multiple people at one time. So I am on my own or Angie or Brad, we're on our own to come up with questions. Now say that we all know what we're looking at, but without keeping score and without knowing what the count was on that home run, I can't ask a question about it. So sometimes my scorecard, if I get distracted, um, sometimes I don't have everything charted in an inning, but I know what I need. And like I said, those questions, they start formulating in the first and the second inning because you don't know when the most pivotal moment is going to be when a game starts. That's so cool. part of it is like self-preservation. Otherwise, you yeah. get to the end of the game. You're like, what am I supposed to ask? So it almost becomes like your outline for post. Yeah, nice. it absolutely is. Uh, yep, it absolutely is. Uh, I got to ask, what's your most mem memorable Gatorade bath that you've experienced? Oh, gosh. <laughs> Boy, that's a good one. Because I really haven't had that many. I've... I I have kind of an understanding agreement with the guys and the understanding and agreement is this, as long as I hang in there until the very last possible second and don't tip off my interviewee that it's coming, I will pretty much like be unscathed in the whole thing. So mm -hmm. I, I do work hard at being quick and getting out of the way, but also they keep me on it. Um, I would say I have a photo. I think I have a photo of it somewhere. Um, there have been a couple of guys who would not let me get away. One of them was Guillermo Heredia. Okay. And Guillermo Heredia was from Cuba and he didn't speak a whole lot of English, but he knew it was coming. And we did the interview and, and uh, one of the coaches, I think, helped interpret. And we're trying to like... When there's three people in there, we were trying to coordinate, but he knew and he actually asked for the Gatorade bath. And we did, he put his arm around me and I couldn't go oh, anywhere. No. And he was like, no, I know where you stand. You stand right here and you're not going anywhere. So that was one. And then there was one, I have a picture of Robinson Cano back here. And he, he had gotten the Gatorade bath. And instead of, I jumped out of the way and then he went in and gave me a full hug. So that then by, you know, transference, I yeah. then was, yeah, soaking wet during the rest of the interview. That's yeah. Good. Hey Jen, so last last uh, you know last playoffs, I sat there for eighteen innings in the stands, waiting for a clutch hit from the Seattle Mariners, <laughs> and they stopped serving the beer the seventh inning. So uh -huh. I had to I had to wait sober for this entire time. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. Please, please, I beg of you, tell me that you're seeing signs in the spring 
a better clutch hitting. <laughs> oh break gosh. Break that promise. That's not me. where I thought that question was going. Um, <laughs> oh, okay. Or give me, or send me a six pack or something, anything. You know, <laughs> I, you know what I was going to say? Shannon Dreyer and I and Brad Adams stood in the tunnel. We were ready to go on the field to do post-game interviews. We go down to the tunnel, <laughs> mid eight, top nine. <laughs> we stood there for three hours <laughs> waiting for this. It was like for an entire game. We stood there for an entire game waiting for the game to be over. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was wearing heels that day. That was oh, no. that's the side oh. point. Um clutch hitting. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what you see. And I, I don't know that that is something that you can measure as much in spring training. Do I like the approach of the guys? Yeah. I think that it's awesome that Jared Kelnick's doing what he's doing. I think having Tom Murphy back is huge when it comes to just overall what that does for um, the pitching staff, what it does for the lineup. I don't, I don't know what to make of the offense until they get to Seattle because Arizona plays so, so differently. Yeah. Seattle, especially in March, April, and May. Yeah. And, and you're playing against pitchers who are trying things out and yeah, yeah it, it's not, it's not the real, it's not the real world <laughs> for sure. No, it's a fun world to be in. And I love it anytime it transferred over, but let's kind of see how those first few weeks go. We all know Angie Mentick is the president of the Thai France club. Yes. Who, what club are you the president of? Oh, Who's... gosh. <laughs> I will not ever say a favorite player. I, okay. Here, actually, here's what I'm going to say. I will never choose a favorite player because, I mean, like that gets around and then people get offended and then, you know, I don't want to play the favorites game. What I will say is this. It has been so fun to watch Cal Raleigh show his personality. So I went down and covered that team in Modesto. I went down, I saw Logan and Cal was there and I'm trying to think of who else. Uh, it was a loaded team in Modesto. And the very first time I talked to Cal, you can tell that he's an introvert. You can tell that um, he's a man of few words if he doesn't have to talk. And I, I could just tell that he really didn't want, not in an not in an unprofessional or an unfriendly way. I could just tell that doing an interview was not his favorite thing. I continued to talk to him throughout his career. And eventually I have worn him down to the point where he will initiate the conversation with me. So I feel like that is my huge win in the clubhouse. And, and it is fun to watch those guys gain more confidence and to come into their own like personalities and just kind of their own, um, like playing personas. And it, it is fun. I'm so glad that Cal's getting the recognition that Absolutely. he deserves. <clears throat> Absolutely. Very nice. Um, let's move on to Seahawks because you are the sideline reporter for the Seahawks. And one of your most memorable moments was the fail Mary, the, the, the golden Tate touchdown slash interception, uh, similar to the Felix situation. Uh, uh how, how does that, how does that interview go? Uh, did you try to skirt around the controversy or did you just, you know what? Here's the thing. I didn't know that it was controversial. Oh, okay. If you're on the field and you're listening to the Seahawks radio broadcast, I don't have any replays. Like you knew that it was close and FYI, there was a controversy because it was bad communication between officials, right? Mm -hmm. I actually screwed that call up when I was officiating football. 
<laughs> I knew that possession went to the golden based on what I had seen. Right. Okay. I knew that I'd screwed that up as an official for <clears throat> and I'd given possession to the defender. OK, so based on what I saw in the corner of the end zone, because it was my corner of the end zone, I thought and I knew that Golden had that ball without any problem. We knew that there was replays. But if you listen to Steve Abel and at the time it was Warren Moon, you couldn't understand from my like where I was on the field, there was a huge controversy. You just knew that there was a question at the end of the game. And of course it was replacement officials. So, so you're kind right. of got that. I have a picture back here where I lock arms with Golden and I'm walking off. And again, if you listen to the national broadcast, you have a very different point of view. What you ask about though, is it's just what happened. How did you make the catch? How did you create any separation? How did you haul that ball? I mean, that's, that's what it is. And then you let you let the player tell you kind of their version of the story. The way right. that I approach every interview is I want to give you a stage to tell your story. Now, not everybody's going to agree with your story. Fans aren't going to appreciate some elements of that. I might think that you're skirting elements of that story, depending on who you are in the situation that is. But that's actually not my job. My job is to give you an a platform and a stage to tell your side of the story, whatever that side of the story is. And then I can move on and we can talk about the game from all sorts of different angles after that. Very cool. Very cool. We, we got to interview local legend, Steve Rabel, who obviously yeah. worked with every Sunday during the Seahawks season. Yep. And whether you agree or disagree, Jen, we truly believe that you're going to be a local legend here because you're on your way to that because of the awesome job that you're doing. But my question is, what's it like when you hear Steve Rabel say to you, let's go down to the field with Jen Mueller? I mean, that's got to <laughs> give me a chill. Um, yeah. You know, it's funny. It is funny when you say it like that, because again, part of it is it's just my job. Yeah. And, you know, I've actually, before he does that, I know that it's going to happen because my producer's gotten into my, so I've already rehearsed what I was going to say. I've got notes that I'm either going off of, or I'm watching somebody come out of the, the blue tent for an injury. I think in the cases where, where I, I think honestly, you know what it is? It's more of don't screw this up and get back to Steve as fast as you can. Because yeah. everything moves so fast in a football game. It's make sure that you give the audience the information they need when they can't see what's happening, but make sure you get it back to Steven time so that he can set up the action to make sure that fans know what's happening. Maybe I will um, look at the butterflies more as like an excitement thing instead of the, oh, shoot, clock is ticking. Let's go. Chop, chop. Make sure that you get this in, Jen. <laughs> Steve, by the way, would never say that. Steve is the best. Um, is. I, I love my broadcast team. But yeah, that's really what's going through my mind. Don't trip over my words. Get it back to Steve. How much time do you have? Like 15 to 30 seconds? or uh, 15 to 20. Oh, average, okay. it's 15 to 20 seconds. So wow. as I tell people, you guys already know this, but um, as I tell people as a point in comparison, that is three to four sentences and it is short sentences. Okay. So that is why if you were to ever look at my notes, and I have some right here, if you were to ever look at my notes for a game, um. You would see that I have them all written in three to four sentences. These were laminated because our last Seahawks game of the year was um, raining. 
but they're all written in three to four sentence paragraphs so that if needed, I can say exactly what's on here, but more importantly, it tells me how much time I have to tell the story. Wow. Well, let's talk about raining, okay? And let's talk about <laughs> how Brian and I went to a Wazoo game, and while I was taking a photo <laughs> of the field, Brian's up there in the press box, staying nice, safe, and dry with prime rib, I believe it was. Yeah, it was. <laughs> getting soaked, my camera's getting soaked, and I'm miserable. Jen, there's got to be certain days on that side though, where you're like, it's either too cold or too rainy. Uh, you, do you know, ever, if, do you ever just look up there at Steve and go, Steve? Yes, there's been a couple of times because that's honestly the moment where Steve and Dave Wyman will talk about how warm they are at the booth. And I'm like, guys, I don't want to hear it. I know what you're doing and I don't want to hear it. Um, in general, as a sideline reporter, like I want to be where the action is. So I would still much rather be a field it's easier when I'm on radio. It's so much easier because it's like, okay, you know that you're going to be soaking wet. You know, it's going to be cold. I've got my tricks. Like it's okay. Once you're in it, you're in it. It's a lot harder if you're on TV and there's inclement weather. And now I'm trying to stay put together. I've got to do something with my hair and my makeup. Um, the game that I will never forget was the Seahawks playoff game in Minnesota before the new stadium was built. I've never been cold in my entire life. And once you're on the field, once I'm on the field, I don't leave the field until the game is over. I'm on the field two hours before the game. Mm. I don't go inside at halftime and I'm on the field until I finish. So that ends up to be about five and a half to six hours that I'm on the field. Um, and that game in, in Minnesota was, I think it is the, it's either the third or the fifth coldest playoff game in NFL history. Wow. Right. Was that the one that uh, they missed the field goal? And we won the yes, game. Yes, that Blair Walsh missed the field goal. Yes. Right. And then, yes, I don't know how anybody was able to do anything that day. <laughs> it was, oh my gosh. Yeah, that was crazy. Uh, stay, staying on the Seahawks here for a minute. The um, recent crop of free agents that we've had seems to backfill all the positions that, that we've lost players. Just your, your, uh, your educated opinion on this shuffling the decks on the chairs of the Titanic or are these actual improvements that no these are big improvements and okay. it's a departure from what Pete Carroll and Schneider have done in the last couple of years and I think that um I think for anybody who wonders if Pete Carroll is too old and if he's too stuck in his ways well he and John are always in lockstep and they are playing this free agent time different than they have in the past. They have some legit playmakers and they knew that they needed them because that defense wasn't good enough. And signing Geno Smith gives you flexibility and lots of options with your draft pick. So yeah, I, I'm excited to see all these guys in the field. Excellent. Please. Uh, I got to ask our producer, Matthew Page is uh, obsessive with the Seahawks and the draft. And lately he seems really negative towards what, what they've done. For me. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we can't, stand we can't stand <laughs> Tell tell us yeah, who the, who they pick for the number five. Who are the CX going to pick with the pick? I don't even know that they know that at this point because I don't know if they hang on to it. To be quite honest with you, I, I think it's super interesting if if you've been listening to what's coming out of Carolina. So Carolina traded up to get the first pick overall, which would tend to indicate that they have a specific quarterback in mind. Scott Fitterer, who was with the Seahawks for a number of years, says, we're keeping our options open. And I don't know that they're going to hang on to that. Like, I don't know. There's so much valuable 
draft capital, but you're still looking at defense and you still need linebackers and you still need some big bodies um, up front on that one. So I, I does not surprise me at all that they would take a quarterback, but I couldn't tell you because I, I, I think I would be more surprised if they pick with number five than if they did. Makes okay. sense. Yeah. Fair enough. Uh, one fun last question I'd like to ask. What's your favorite sports movie of all time and why? Favorite sports movie of all time. That's a good one. And I hate to even say that it's Major League, but it's probably Major League or Caddyshack. <laughs> and I know that's so ridiculous, but the lines are just too good. <laughs> The lines are just too good. And yes, I just aged and did myself. Yes. <laughs> I, I, I understand that. I know that there's better storyline. I know that there's, but I could watch Major League like all the time. Right. Um, the heart wants what the heart wants. So I, <laughs> it's no. nostalgia. It's, you know, young Jen dreaming of working in the big leagues. It's just, there's a lot of things there. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, we're running up at the uh, end of our show here, but I want to make sure Jen that you can uh, put out there uh, to the, to the world where people can find you, you know, via social or, uh, you know, via any books that you've recently authored. Uh, so I'll give you this chance to, to plug those. Yeah, you can find me on the website, TalkSportToMe.com. That's a pretty safe place to find me on the socials as well. Yeah. Excellent. And of course, Root Sports and on uh, Seahawks broadcast as well. Yep. And uh, we're, we're running up at the end, end of our show here. We always like to do a shout out, a person or place or something. I'm going to go ahead and start with you, Brian. Would you care uh, to give a shout out? I'm going to give a shout out to my eldest, Jay, who turned 24 years old last week. He's attending Rutgers University currently, and I just wanted to say, keep up the great work, son. We love you, and talk to you soon. That, that's a that's a great university too. Not not like that other one that uh, your old man <laughs> went to, but uh, <laughs> Big Ten Big Ten school. <laughs> I'd like to I'd like to give a shout out to to my dad. He and I were texting all night last night, watching uh, the United States beat Cuba, and that's something you know at his age, the. It brought back memories of uh, the very first World Baseball Classic that he and I went to in person, and then just uh, the whole, the whole, uh, uh, you know, the the sport being placed on a bigger stage uh, thing, you know, especially as uh, especially as some interest in baseball uh, seems to skew upwards in age. It, it's good that younger people are starting to catch on to it too. Uh, Jen, over to you. Uh, you know, I'm actually going to shout out. I, I am very proud to say that I just finished the first season of my cooking show called I Cook, You Measure. I just taped the final episode and uh, I've had athletes cook with me and it's been really fun. It was a pilot project um, to make sure that it would work. It does. So we're going to keep it going. So we just wrapped shooting that season and you'll see more episodes soon. Well, wait a minute. You can't just drop this bomb on us. Where, <laughs> what is this? Where can we yeah, find it? Yeah, I cook you measure. You can find it on my YouTube channel. The, oh. If you go to the website, it'll redirect. There's a there's a link that it'll redirect, but you can catch the episodes with A. Lucas, uh, Tariq Woolen, Nico Thor, a former chef for the Mariners, Chef Jeremy, joined me for an episode. Um, I made cinnamon rolls by myself. Wow. And uh, yeah, you're going to get a bonus bites episode coming up soon. 
Well, all of a sudden, we got some new watching to do. And speaking yeah. of watching, all of you out there, check us out at Seattle Sports Union on YouTube, as well on Captivate Spotify, iTunes, and elsewhere. Now we're on channel 68 out of where, where Brian? Out of... Uh, out of ocean shores ocean shores that's right yes <laughs> you'll be able to see our faces and gins as well on saturdays all right well thank you everybody for joining us this week check us out on our social media that's at seattle sports you as well like us on facebook and we'll see you guys next time <laughs>